Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Once again, uh, Paul and I did not communicate this week, at least not about the uh, song list, and um, not because we're mad at each other or anything like that. <laughs> um, but he, once again, the Holy Spirit spoke through the music already, what we're going to, what the Lord's been speaking to my heart to share with you this morning. Um, and it's about the predominance of Jesus. The predominance of Jesus. I want to read something to you that I wrote earlier this week. At the very center of our faith is Jesus. He is the predominant subject. He is our doctrine and our theology. The prevailing witness of our salvation. The chief ambition of our lives. Jesus is the solid rock on which our lives are built. Not the expectation of heaven, not the fear of hell, not the church, and not even the Bible alone. Without Jesus, the scriptures are incomplete and the Father remains hidden in mystery. To be Christian is to place Jesus far and above everything. Let me say that again. To be Christian is to place Jesus far and above everything. Above everything bad and equally above everything that is good. Let me read that all to you one more time. At the very center of our faith is Jesus. He is the predominant subject. He is our doctrine and our theology the prevailing witness of our salvation, the chief ambition of our hearts. Jesus is the solid rock on which our lives are built. Not the expectation of heaven, not the fear of hell, not the church, or even the Bible alone. Without Jesus, scriptures are incomplete and the Father remains hidden in mystery. To be Christian is to place Jesus above Everything, above everything bad, that's obvious, but equally above everything that is good. Jesus is supreme, amen? More than I want us to be lovers of the church, community, worship, or even the Bible, I want us to be lovers of Jesus. And I don't mean what Jesus stands for. Not just what he stands for, but exclusively in love with the person, Jesus. This is important because if we are not careful, we can begin to love the good things that walking with Jesus produces more than we love the author and the finisher of our faith. This when this happens, when we begin to love the things that are produced out of walking with Jesus more than Jesus, this only, not only becomes adulterous, it becomes destructive. It's not, and I know that's strong language, but loving what Jesus produces 
loving what walking in faith produces more than we love Jesus is idolatry because it's placing that thing above Jesus. But it's not just idolatrous, it's also destructive. It's destructive because there is no other cornerstone that will not eventually crumble. There is no other cornerstone that will not eventually crumble. If you fall in love with the church more than you fall in love with Jesus, the church is ultimately going to disappoint you. That's why people can come to the church their entire lives, get hurt by someone in the church, and they leave the faith altogether because their faith and their hope was not in the person of Jesus. It was in the building and the people. And as important as the church is, it's the body of Christ. As important as the church is, it is not what is predominant in our lives. If you trust the community more than you trust Jesus, people are ultimately going to fail you. I will do my absolute best as your pastor, but I guarantee you, I will fail you. And if Jesus is not supreme, if Jesus is not why you walk in faith, when one of those things crumbles, you will walk away. I'm going to say this as well, and I hope you hear this rightly. But even Scripture cannot be higher than Jesus. There are people who loved the Scriptures, who found things in the Scriptures that are hard to reconcile. There are things in scriptures that are hard to reconcile. And there are people who have walked away from faith because their hope was found in the book rather than the person the book is telling us about. There is such a thing as Bible idolatry. And Bible idolatry is when you put scriptures above everything else, including the person of Jesus. Jesus, who is the eternal word, not the Bible. Jesus is the word of God. And he is the lens in which we read scripture. And if you take that lens off and try to read scripture, you are going to find things in there that are going to make you question your faith. Jesus is the definition He is the lens in which we read Scripture. He defines Scripture. Amen? These are some things that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But today I want to talk to you about the predominance of Jesus and how Jesus is the center of our salvation. Some of this today may seem a a little elementary, And some of it may seem a little profound. It's going to be a little bit of both this morning. But I ask you just to stay with me through this process. But I want to talk to you again today about Jesus being the center of our salvation. 
that our salvation is defined by the person of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, open up with me real fast to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We're going to stop right there right away. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I think if we were to take all of the sermons and all of the books written in all of the centuries that I've been in past, that I've been written and preached about salvation, all of them, all of them could be summed up in this one verse. And you he made alive who were dead. This is all of us. All of us, as scripture says, have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us have walked in the deadness of trespasses and sins, right? But you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is exactly as he said clear back in the garden would happen. Remember Genesis chapter 2, when he's talking to Adam and Eve and he's presenting the garden of Eden to uh, Adam and Eve. And he shows them the two trees, and he says there's this one tree in the garden. You can have any tree, eat of the fruit of any tree you want to, but there's this one tree called the knowledge of good and evil in the center of the garden, and you are not to eat of that fruit. And then what, this is what he says. He says, when you, if you eat of that fruit, in that day you will surely die. Now, I, I've always read this scripture as you will surely die, and dying being a physical death. And I always had in my mind that God spared Adam and Eve that day, right? That he, in his grace and his mercy, spared Adam and Eve. But I began to realize, actually just this week, that he didn't mean they would die physically. There was a death that day. And it was not a physical death, it was a spiritual death. It was a separation, a wall that was built, not by God, but by us. You do realize that at the fall, God did not change. We changed at the fall. And that day, there was a spiritual death that happened. But when Jesus came back, Ephesians 1 tells us that that day, when Jesus died on the cross, when he, he healed us and cleansed us from our sins, it says, and you, he did what? Made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. It tells us a little bit more about this in Romans chapter five. It says, when Adam sinned, the entire world was affected. Sin entered the human experience. And what was the result? Death was the result. There was a death that day. And so death followed this sin, casting its shadow over all of humanity, because all have sinned. In verse 17 of the same chapter, it goes on and it says, Death once held us in its grip, and by the blunder of one man, one man named Adam, death reigned as king over humanity. But now... How much more are we held in the grip of grace and continue reigning as kings in this life, enjoying our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only 
Jesus the Messiah. What is salvation? What can you, and listen, the, it's, salvation is, in a, a very uh, a big word is the study, it's soteriology, which is the study of salvation. If you, in, in the study of salvation, there's theologians that study this uh, and that, that write theses and big long books on the subject of theology. And there is a lot of complexities and nuances and things we could get into with salvation. But if we were to boil it all down to one statement, it's this. And you he made alive. What is salvation? It's you coming to life. He made you alive. Amen. He made you alive. Christ, listen to this. Christ has not just forgiven us. The cross wasn't just about forgiveness. It was about making dead things alive. He didn't just save us from sin. He saved us from the death that sin brings. He didn't just save us from sin. He saved us from the death that sin brings. And listen, I am not talking about hell. The Bible is clear that you were dead spiritually in this life, but you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's verse one. Verse two, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, listen to this, because of his great love with which he loved us. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Whew, that's a statement right there. The Bible just told us that while we are here on this earth, we are at the same time seated with Jesus in heavenly places. That in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness, in his kindness towards us in who? Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. That language there is so important. By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus is the center of our salvation. Jesus, hear this church, is the initiator of our salvation. He's the initiator of our salvation. And let me add this, we are not. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you wanted him, he wanted you. Before you wanted to be alive, he wanted you alive. In this relationship we have with Jesus, he is the one who made the first move. Jesus is the initiator of our salvation. Many people believe that salvation begins when you say a prayer. You'll hear it asked, when, so when did you get saved? And a lot of times when we say that, we say the date and the time where we maybe answered an altar call or we said a prayer in a group uh, setting or whatever it may be. And that is an important part of our salvation. And that may be when your will aligned with his and you begin, as the scripture says, begin working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But let me tell you something, that is not when your salvation started. Your salvation began long before you ever said a prayer or before you asked Jesus into your heart. In fact, I'll go even further. Your salvation began before the cross and the incarnation of Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, let me read it to you, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Paul is speaking here. But share with me in his suffering, in the suffering of the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with the holy calling, not according to our works. There it is again. We didn't initiate it. He did. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus. Look at this. Before time began but has now been revealed by the purity of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. When did your salvation begin? Before he even created time. He is the lamb that was slain before when? The foundations of the earth were even laid. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And Jesus and the Father, they began your salvation story before the world was even framed. Before the world was even framed. Your participation in salvation is vital. Don't hear me wrong. Your participation is vital. Your yes to Jesus is vital. But, you did not initiate your salvation. Jesus did. You might be thinking, why, why is this so important? This seems like just a, a little bit of a nuance kind of thing. 
it's important because it changes the whole dynamic of salvation. He didn't have mercy on you because you begged for it and he relented. He had mercy on you because he loved you and he wanted you. If we initiated salvation by crying out for mercy and he answers by giving us mercy, he is still good and benevolent. But if he initiated our salvation before we ever wanted it, then that means that the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega, is deeply and unapologetically committed to loving you. If we initiated it, he's still good. But if he initiates it, what kind of love is this? That God is mindful of us. That we rebelled against him, but he still pursued us. It changes the whole thing. It changes the whole thing. If we initiated it, he's still good. We still praise him. We still thank him. But if he initiates it, it proves to us his unfailing devotion to loving us. Jesus is the initiator of our salvation. We are not. We loved him, 1 John 4, 19. We loved him. Why? Because he first loved us. He is so committed to loving us that he not only initiated our salvation, he became the means of our salvation. Not only did he say yes to saving us, he did in himself what had to be done in order to save us. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21, it says, Even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadow of your evil, living in the shadow of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and Father God. There's nothing between you and Father God, for he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. He sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. If indeed you continue to advance in the faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon, never be shaken from the hope of the gospel you have believed in. You have believed in. And this is the glorious news I preach all over the world. Not only is he committed to us, not only did he initiate salvation, he became the means. Not only did he give a profound yes to your salvation, but he became the door. He became the way. God, God stepped into his creation, put on flesh, then allowed that flesh to be torn 
by his own creation so that that creation could be saved. He stepped out of eternity into time, allowed his creation to bruise him, to mock him, to beat him, so that that creation could be saved. What kind of love is that? Brad Jersak, who is a theologian, he calls this cruciform love. You could also call it kenosis. Kenosis is a Greek word in scripture that you find in Philippians chapter two. It says, he existed in the form of God, talking about Jesus. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his own outward glory. That word emptied is the word kenosis. He emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He had humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. God was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. The word kenosis, again, is emptied himself. And it's not implying that he emptied himself of his divinity. Some people have read that scripture as that, that he emptied himself of his godlikeness, of his, of his divinity. But church history, but scripture We'll say scripture first. Scripture tells us that he was fully God, right? He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he didn't empty himself of his divinity. Church history tells us that he was very God of very God. So this this emptying of himself, this kenosis, is not him emptying himself of his divinity. He was fully God and fully man. It was not emptying himself of his divinity. Instead, it's this picture of giving everything, of emptying yourself. It's like a father who works every week, and he works overtime. He works double shifts so that his daughter can take swimming lessons because she wants to be a professional swimmer. The dad empties himself gives everything he has for his child. Or it's like a mother who holds their sick child. Even though that by holding the sick child, there's a really good chance that she is going to be sick because of it. But the child's comfort is more important than her own comfort and her own safety. The mother empties herself. There's a kenosis, a cruciform love that is given. Or it's a soldier who gives up his family, who gives up his freedom, who gives up even his own life so that others can have freedom, can have time with their family, and can live life. This is kenosis, emptying himself. What is kenosis? Kenosis 
is love over rights. Humility over pride. Self-sacrifice over self-preservation. God did not say, I am God, I don't have to do this. Instead, he said, I'm God, and even that I will pour out for them. Jesus is not only the initiator of your salvation, he is the means. He is the door. He offered kenosis, cruciform love. He sacrificed himself. He gave up, he, he chose love over his rights as God. And he emptied himself so that you could be made alive. So that you could be resurrected from the dead. His resurrection is your resurrection. Jesus is the initiator of our salvation. He is the means of our salvation. Now this is where most American evangelicals stop. We know that he initiates. We know that he, through the cross, it, is, it, was, it was because of the blood of Jesus that we are saved. But not only is he the initiator, not only is he the means, but he is the purpose of our salvation. He is the why we are saved. He is what we are saved unto. In most soteriology, which, which again is the study of salvation, we talk about what we are saved from, but we rarely talk about what we are saved to. And when we do talk about what we are saved to, we make it about afterlife. But most of the time when we talk about salvation, we talk about what we are saved from, right? We are saved from the penalty of our sins. We are saved from a place called hell, which is the penalty for our sins. This has become the predominant gospel, that you get to go to heaven and you don't have to go to hell. You get to go to heaven and you don't have to go to hell. But if this is the purity of the gospel, then the book of Acts does a terrible job of presenting the gospel. Because not one time in the book of Acts does Peter or Silas or Paul or any of the other disciples go to a city and say, hey, listen, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? There's no billboards that they're buying and putting up. If you were in a crash today, and you died, are you going to heaven, and you are going to hell? But this is what we have made the pinnacle of the gospel. That salvation is not going to hell, and we get to go to a place called heaven. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says this, It's hardly complimentary to God that you choose him as an alternative to hell. What's my choices? Okay, if God's real, then that means if I don't repent, then I'm going to get sent to hell. I guess I got two options here, right? Heaven or hell. I, I literally, a few years ago, went to a funeral. And uh, it wasn't here. It was nobody you know, so don't start guessing. But the pastor stood up there. And his literal, literal words were, when he was preaching the gospel to the people there through this funeral, 
is he says, when you die, you'll go to heaven or hell. And then he goes on and he says this, I wish there was a third option. He just, he, in that statement, just said that I am more kind and benevolent than God is. <laughs> Seriously. I wish there was a third option, but hey, God gave us two options. We either choose him or we burn in hell forever. It's hardly complimentary to God that you would choose him over hell. That is not the gospel. That is not the good news that was preached to the Gentiles. That was not the good news that, that, uh, that one of the disciples, I think it was Peter, maybe. No, it was James. I don't know. It was one of them. He goes into a city. He's literally running for his life. There are people after him trying to kill him for the gospel he is preaching. He goes into a, um, a who was the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan, they, I, woo, all right. He, she was a, he goes into a Samaritan village. The Samaritans hate the Jews. He is running for his life, whichever apostle this was. You can tell I'm, I'm winging this one here, okay? He's running for his life. He goes into a city that hates his nationality, hates who he is, hates who he stands for. He preaches the gospel to him, and it says that the entire city is given over to Jesus in that city. The entire city gets saved because of what he preaches. Now, what kind of gospel did he preach? They hate him going in. He's being chased because they're trying to kill him for the gospel he is preaching, and all of them accept it. And the Bible says they accept the gospel with joy. From a man they hate, knowing that if they begin believing this gospel, there are going to be people who want to kill them, but they accept this gospel with joy. Now, it's got to be something better than, hey, you've got two choices. You can either pick Jesus or you can go to hell. There is a better gospel. There is a better gospel than you get to go to heaven and not go to hell. There is a better gospel than you've just been forgiven. Now, let's see how long you can last on this earth until you finally get to go to heaven. There is a better gospel. Let me tell you the better gospel. Colossians chapter 1. The better gospel is not that you don't have to go to hell. The better gospel is that you get to live in Jesus. He is what we are saved unto. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. There is a divine mystery. Whew. There is a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now is being revealed, unfolding and manifested for every holy believer to experience. God has been concealing this mystery for all of eternity. This glorious mystery that he has been waiting on tiptoe, wanting to reveal to the sons and daughters of God. And that mystery is not, you don't have to go to hell. This is the mystery. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This is the gospel. This is the mystery. This is the good news 
that, that was concealed for the ages that is now being revealed to us. And it is Christ living in you. It is what, we say in, what, we, what we've said before, it is perichoresis. It's the circle dance. It's the mutual indwelling that the Father, Son, and Spirit share with one another. The, the mutual indwelling that is, is so exclusive that we say we're not, a monothe, we're not a polytheistic believers. We are monotheistic because they are so mutually exclusive that they are one. The gospel is that that relationship that can only be described as oneness is now available to us. That we have been invited through the blood of the Lamb to join the circle dance, the mutual indwelling that the Father, Son, and Spirit share with one another. We get to walk with God the Father as Jesus walks with God the Father. He is the initiator of our salvation. He is the, the means of our salvation, and he is what we are saved to, that he now lives within us, not when we die and go to heaven, but now we experience eternal life. You do realize when it talks about eternal life in the Gospels, it's not referring to after you die. It's referring to now. You are sozoed. You are eternally alive now. Death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? This is the gospel. He lives within us. Church, if we want to see the world saved, if we want to begin to live life to the fullest, the Bible says that Jesus came that we may have life and have it what? More abundantly. If we want to walk in life and life more abundantly, then we need a better Christology. We need to understand Jesus better. He has to become the central figure and person of our lives above everything else. Above everything good or above everything bad and above everything good. He is the central figure. If we want to see the world saved, We've got to have a better gospel than you don't have to go to hell. We have to put Jesus supremely in the center of our conversations of salvation. It's not about a location. It's about a person. It's not about an afterlife. It's about life right now to the fullest. A life abundantly a life full of joy in the midst of sorrow, a life full of peace in the midst of chaos, a life full of his presence in the midst of a world that seems absent of his presence. Jesus is the center of our salvation. He is predominant above everything else. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. As we close the service this morning, I want you to just place your mind on Jesus. Just place your mind on Jesus. Father, if there is 
any area in our life where we have placed those things above you, Jesus. Things both bad and things both good. Father, I pray that today those things would go to their proper place. And Father, you would be elevated above everything. Father, that you would be the central person in our lives, that you'd be the central figure in our lives, Lord. You are our ambition. You are our desire. You are what we are chasing after. Father, our Christianity isn't isn't looking forward to heaven and it's not fearing hell. God, our walk with you is not, is not dependent on a place, but Father, our walk with you is because we are in love with you. You are the one thing that we desire. Better is one day in your courts than having a thousand elsewhere. Father, we are hungry for you in your presence. Jesus, we honor you above everything else. Church, this is why praise is so important. It's why we spent four weeks talking about praise. Because he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. If Jesus is, is off in your, in your uh, priorities, praise helps to realign Realign your priority list because he is enthroned on the praises of his people. Father, enthrone yourself on our hearts this morning. You are our one thing, Jesus. Everything else is secondary. Everything else can wait. Jesus, you are our one thing. Father, we honor you and we come with hearts of gratitude that, Father, that even while we were yet sinners, even before we wanted you, you wanted us. And, Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. In your holy name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.